Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Summer is almost here. You remember what that's like. The sun, the summer nights, the mosquitoes relentlessly buzzing around your head. So it can be quite challenging, um, especially if you're, say, out, you know, doing some some kind of recreational activity like like softball or slow pitch or, or anything where you have to stand for a while. That's Dr. Ken Fry. He's a professor at Olds College in Alberta, and he's an entomologist, which means he studies bugs. He grew up in Edmonton, where mosquitoes are a part of everything in the summer, even baseball. The males will look for the highest point on the horizon, and they know that the females will be similarly looking for a a visible high point on the horizon. So it could be a fence post, it could be a tree, it could even be just a hill or a rise. Well, if you're standing out in left field, well, you're the high point. And so they'll form over your head, and so all these males are just buzzing around above your head. It's crazy. Ken knows a lot about mosquitoes. And in his research, he's looked at different ways to use nature to keep pests at bay. That's something that Edmonton is going to try. Earlier this month, Edmonton City Council voted to end aerial pesticide spraying. Instead, they'll introduce more natural predators. But can that actually solve the mosquito problem? And should other parts of the country be looking to do the same? Today on the show, we're going deep on mosquitoes. Ken Fry will break down the limits of our own efforts to control nature, even with something so tiny and so annoying as the mosquito. This is The Decibel. Ken, it's great to have you here. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Why is Edmonton so bad for mosquitoes? We hear about Winnipeg in particular, and then Edmonton as well. Why is it that these places seem to see a lot of bugs? A lot of standing water, pretty much. Hmm. So the mosquitoes uh, breed in, in, in water, and so they need standing water to to complete their life cycle. And you go up to Edmonton, it's like you've entered the tropical rainforest. I mean, the biomass is so abundant. I know it's nothing like going out to the temperate rainforest of British Columbia or the Cordilleran forest in southern Ontario, but by nature of that abundant standing water. And, and you know, Winnipegers know that all too well. The Red River Valley is, is a very wet valley, and that's principally why they have the, the biggest problem is that they have so much standing water, which means there's a lot of breeding ground for mosquitoes. Hmm. So... Edmonton City Council recently voted to end aerial pesticide spraying um, to control the mosquito population. And instead, they, they want to shift to more natural controls, like introducing bats and, and dragonflies. Can you walk us through this, Ken? How is this going to work that bats and dragonflies control the mosquito population? Well, I'll start with the aerial spraying. Strictly speaking, where the most of the mosquitoes are going to be breeding are going to be in what we call uh, uh, permanent to semi-permanent ponds and sloughs and wetlands. Mm. And those are predominantly located out, out in the rural areas and surrounding the city. But to getting out to those field breeding sites, um, aerial spraying is the way to go, is the most expeditious way to do it. Um, so when they're cancelling that, they're they're leaving a, a large area of, of breeding grounds available for the mosquitoes to develop. And can I just ask, why, why would they want to cancel that? What would, this, this is something they've done for, for years now, so why would they want to cancel that? Well, I mean, pesticide use is a very real concern. The non-target impacts have been reduced over the years with you know, Im- improved technologies. 
but nevertheless, you're still having a negative impact. So uh, moving away from, say, you know, human management or synthetic inputs or even organically certified inputs, you're still having an input into that system as opposed to relying on natural systems. So I guess this shift then is to natural systems then, essentially. So we've got bats and dragonflies that the city is kind of introducing into the area. So is the idea that bats and dragonflies then eat these mosquitoes and they'll control the mosquito population in that way? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that bats do consume mosquitoes, but there's still some uncertainty as to the volume of mosquitoes that bats do consume. So there's a few studies out there that show if you analyze their gut contents and say, yes, we can identify different mosquito species as being consumed by bats. Um, there's another study that says, well, in little brown bats, which are the most common ones that we have around in Edmonton area, it constitutes maybe 2% of their diet. And so, yes, while they do eat them, recall that bats have evolved to feed on uh, larger animals like moths, right? So their echolocation is most effective at, at locating and then capturing these larger animals. And mosquitoes are a tiny little, I don't know, appetizer. A little snack there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in that regard, it's not their primary prey. So it will have an impact, but uh, to the extent that it could replace the aerial spray program, certainly not. And similarly with dragonflies, we have to recognize that the immature stages of dragonflies do breed in wetlands where mosquitoes breed but not the species that are the most problematic in Edmonton, so the ones that are most abundant in the summer. They feed on the ones that are in the wetlands, the permanent and semi-permanent ponds, and yes, they constitute a, a constant mosquito pressure in the city, but they're not the ones that get to large numbers, potentially, uh, with the summer rains. Then when it comes to the adult dragonflies, if you ever look at one closely, its head is almost all eye, right? I mean, it's got these big compound eyes. Very visual hunters, they're very acrobatic, some of the best flyers among the insect world. So they're excellent hunters, but they're daytime flyers. You see them mm. patrolling your yard during the day. Mosquitoes like to be out at dusk and dawn, right? Yeah, Not the day. so there's a bit of a disconnect there. <laughs> so yes, while they will t they'll take the odd mosquito, that's not their principal praise, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think moving towards sustainable measures is, is, is very admirable, but... I, I do believe that people have to recognize it's not going to achieve the level of management that um, artificial inputs do. Yeah, I guess, and that's probably what a lot of people are wondering too. So with this changeover from the pesticides to these more natural controls, will people see a bit of an uptake in mosquitoes? Like, is there going to be a bit of, of time where this, this we're going to see a difference there? All things being equal, I would I would anticipate there being an uptick. Ground spraying is still going to be there, and, and they do a great job of being very targeted in their spot spring, but that's a limited population that they're going to be able to manage. I mean, a lot of the breeding grounds, like I say, are outside the city. And uh, the city of Emden's done some trapping over the years, um, putting up mosquito traps in the river valley. And, and the numbers that they were collecting in their traps, like in excess of 50,000 female mosquitoes per night, per Ooh. trap, coming in through, funneling in through the river valley. And this is why the Edmonton has had such a, a comprehensive program. And it's been extraordinarily challenging. They got a really good lab and some really good people there that, that know the biology, know the insects, and, and, you know, they're doing the best they can within, you know, the constraints that they have to manage it as best as possible for the citizens of Edmonton. But it's, you know, it's going to be, depending on the year, of course, Mother Nature rules all. Last year was very, very dry in Edmonton. Mosquito population waned. And everyone's like, oh, this is great. But will it be the artificially low level that was maintained prior? No, I doubt it. Hmm.
I wonder then, so do pesticides still have a role to play here? So we have these natural measures that will now be here with, with the bats and dragonflies, but you mentioned the more targeted spraying that will still happen. So is there still, there's still a role for pesticides in this management then? So I'm going to attack this from a, a bit of a different angle. Pesticides are not inherently evil, okay? Um, nature, I mean, our first pesticides that humans use were like pyrethrum extracted from chrysanthemums. Pesticides are a part of nature. It's just, are, how do we deploy them? Do we use them in a way that emulates how nature uses them? Like when we make synthetics, sometimes there are not pre-existing mechanisms in nature to break down those compounds. Mm. Like DDT was an old one. And uh, like the human body couldn't break it down very much. And so we sequestered it in our, our fat. Um, it wouldn't break down very easily in the soils and it persists to this day. Um, but then if we start using more natural products or out of nature, that nature has a pre-existing breakdown system. Like pyrethrum, if you just take it out of the plant, it is very vulnerable to ultraviolet light degradation. So it'll break down in a couple of hours. I want to ask you about climate change as well, Ken, because we hear a lot about how the change in climate is going to affect Canadian cities, uh, regions throughout Canada. With cities like Edmonton getting warmer and more extreme kinds of weather happening, what does that mean for the future of mosquitoes in these places? It all depends on the standing water. For Canada and Alberta in particular, you would probably see that the, the dry grassland ecozone uh, moving northward, so cr encroaching on red deer, perhaps even as far north as Edmonton, depending on what time scale you're looking at. And that means less standing water, so that would potentially mean fewer breeding habitats for mosquitoes. But then we have to think about, okay, what about those couple of few species that breed in those temporary waters, like from a rainstorm? And that's where those ephemeral waters are, those temporary waters that the, the two problematic species are breeding in. Uh, it's not as great in the Empton area. The species that's responsible, Culex tarsalis, for vectoring West Nile virus, is not as abundant in the Empton area. I think it constitutes a, in a bad year, maybe 10% of the total mosquito population. Mm -hmm. But even then, that's still a risk. And you mentioned two problematic species of mosquitoes there. I guess, well, there, are there others that could potentially move into those areas? Or, or what are we looking at on that side of things? There, there is a possibility. I mean, my goodness, we have a, a species of Anopheles, Anopheles earlii, that's a malaria vector. But it, it's just mm. not warm enough to for the malaria parasite, the plasmodium, to complete its life cycle in the mosquito at the temperatures that we have here. We're not at risk of malaria now. I don't know if we're going to be at, at risk of malaria in the future. It remains to be seen what our, our climate's going to uh, determine. But yes, species are moving. But we can't say as a wholesale, all mosquitoes will move northward like there's... Um, Yellow fever mosquito in the far south of the United States, Aedes aegypti, is it going to make it up here? It's going to be an individual species response. There is no general trend that we can say. Some are going to say, woohoo, yay, climate change. Others are going to go, uh, I'm extinct. <laughs> so uh, it's a species by species phenomenon. I mean, that's that's how individualistic species are in, the, in terms of their adaptability or plasticity to adapt to change. You mentioned malaria there. And of course, we're talking about getting rid of mosquitoes in Canada, mostly because they're just annoying. But uh, in many parts of the world, they do bring a real risk of disease. Um, for example, in 2020 alone, malaria killed almost 630,000 people, according to the CDC. So we should remember that there are really important reasons to control mosquitoes. Oh, absolutely. And there are significant efforts. Um, and well, it's like an experiment ongoing right now. There are a number of companies that are experimenting with genetically modifying mosquitoes. Uh, I was just reading this morning a very brief article on 
they're looking at introducing a bacterium into mosquitoes in Asia. And what it does is it negates or, or reduces the ability of a particular mosquito to carry dengue fever. So it's another debilitating disease and, and lethal disease in some areas. So it, um, having this bacterium in the mosquito uh, reduces its ability to transmit that disease. You know, in the past, we used a lot of pesticides, like in Equatorial Africa, insecticide-impregnated bed nets, um, spraying the walls of the homes with DDT or other pesticides. So it's very, very important worldwide uh, for disease mitigation and disease control. So what I'm what I'm kind of hearing from you here, Ken, is like it seems like there's a whole bunch of solutions and we have to kind of use a little bit of all of them. So maybe some of these natural solutions like the bats and the, the dragonflies, maybe a little bit of pesticides, maybe some more scientific uh, new techniques like gene editing and things. But I guess all of these things together and maybe maybe reducing our expectations a little bit of what is uh, acceptable in terms of um, having um, the number of bugs around. So finding a way to maybe live in harmony with them a little bit more. Yeah, a more holistic approach. Absolutely. And and nature doesn't rely on a single sledgehammer or silver bullet. It, it's bio, full of biodiversity. And it means yeah, there's many different things that will be feeding on mosquitoes. Birds will feed on mosquitoes. You know, other insects will feed on mosquitoes. There's all kinds of things that will feed on these animals and, and manage their population. And it's just a matter of fostering an environment that encourages those. So conservation biological control is another term where you, you conserve what's out there. And if we look at it from a holistic perspective instead of a reductionist perspective where, oh, we need this one tool, boom, it's done, one and done. Got to get away from that because that's just not how nature works. Before I let you go, I do want to ask you just about one one last question that I think a lot of people have with mosquitoes. A lot of people seem to say that they attract mosquitoes more than other people, that, you know, when, when there's a crowd of people, they're the ones that will get all the bugs. Is there truth in that? Do certain people attract mosquitoes more than others? There's some research on the, sort of the the diet of individuals and then what they perspire. Um, Long-range cues to mosquitoes are predominantly carbon dioxide. So as you exhale, then they know that that's not a plant necessarily in those kinds of concentrations. It's probably an animal. Then as they get closer, a lactic acid is known as a... Um, uh, a short-range cue. So when you exercise, you, you produce lactic acid and then you release that. Um, similarly, there's um, when people have various hygiene products and they're, they're flower-scented, the, the females do need nectar. So if you smell like a flower, they're inclined to visit you and they go, oh, hey, guess what? There's a heat signal coming off plus these other signals. I'm going to take a blood meal. Huh. Um, if you look like a cow, uh, in other words, if you have rough fabric or darker fabrics, then you look like an animal, right? But if you, on the contrary, is if you're wearing bright, shiny colors, then you look like a flower. So there's no real perfect in between there. <laughs> um, but because they, they either attracted you as a flower or they're attracted you as an animal. Just very lastly here, Ken, I mean, you you think a lot about mosquitoes. I think a lot of people try not to think so much about mosquitoes. Why do you find them so interesting? Well, a lot of people talk about, oh, well, the adults are, when they try to justify why we should mitigate, you know, or, or change our some of our management strategies, is they think, oh, they're, they're part of the food web. You know, the birds eat them and the bats eat them, the dragonflies eat them. But strictly speaking, uh, most of my research early on in my career was on immature mosquitoes or the larval stage that lives in the water. And um, the way they feed is they filter fine particulate organic matter out of the water. So they're they're feeding on, you know, broken down bits of leaf litter and bacteria and all kinds of things. And so what they're doing is they're taking essentially a resource that is not available to any other animal and they're putting it into biomass. 
And now that's now made available to all the other predators and then returned back into that whole cycle of life. So to me, it's the the immature stage. It's the kids that are the good ones, uh, not so much the adults. And uh, so the kids are, are helping to filter our water, clean our water. So if you want good, clean waterways, you know, black flies, I know black flies, but um, they're filter feeding in running waters and mosquitoes are filter feeding in still waters. So they're helping to clean our water system. So maybe a reason to actually love these bugs a little bit. (laughs) Or at least have a grudging respect. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Ken, thank you so much for, for speaking with us today. This was fascinating. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Special thanks to The Globe's Andrea Sakiyama-Kennedy. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Allie Graham helped edit this episode. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.